0: Well, you're going to laugh, but um, because of your podcast, we're positioned well. I don't know how else to thank you, but thank you. Your podcast and your services are amazing, and I wish I could do more as far as working with you guys, but um, I haven't really, but um, maybe in the future, obviously. But once again, our family is grateful to you and your services, and your information is priceless. Thank you so much.
1: from aboard the ship. Yes, we are on the Princess cruise ship right now. And we are just landing in Boston. Yes, Boston, Massachusetts. I mean, I should say Taxachusetts, Boston, Taxachusetts. And we are in the library on the ship. Carmen and I just had a beautiful breakfast out on the deck it was absolutely gorgeous and I did not know coming into Boston Harbor there are all these really cool little islands out there and it was just gorgeous as the sun was uh, rising there uh, what a what a beautiful time of day the air is cool and crisp fall is in the air but it's not too fallish really it's kind of warm but it's kind of getting there so uh greetings today. We are going to talk about renting your backyard. Renting your backyard. Yes, you know you can do that. And here's what's interesting about today's guest and, and show is that we are coming to the point where technology is allowing us as investors to slice up the pie of our properties and do different things with those properties. And this show, uh, today's guest, is a perfect example of that. Remember I talked uh, several episodes ago about that uh, service. Uh, it's a startup based in San Francisco that doesn't do what Airbnb does in terms of renting your properties night by night or weekend by weekend or week by week, but allows you to rent your property hour by hour. And I'm not saying any of this is the thing for any of us to do yet. What I'm trying to show you with today's guest as well is that this is a trend, that there are new macro trends coming our way that will present new opportunities for us as real estate investors. Remember, the preamble for the National Association of Realtors one of the largest, if not the largest actually, trade organization in the world with about 1.4 million members. You know, it's been around over 100 years, I think. The preamble is under all is land. Under all is land. And when you control that land, when you control that real estate, you are in control of a resource that has limited supply, and those ingredients that make up your houses, those packaged commodities, as I talk about, are very, very valuable, not indexed to any one currency. They have universal need. So they literally fulfill the needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Remember, you studied that in college, and uh, may, or maybe even in high school in a psychology class. That's what real estate provides for us. So it's an awesome asset class, it really is. Anyway, we are here on a Venture Alliance cruise, and yesterday we sort of took our second Venture Alliance Mastermind trip to Newport, Rhode Island. That was actually our second trip years ago when I launched the group, but this time we did it on a cruise ship, and uh, it was pretty awesome to see those big mansions uh, that the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and all the rest of these incredibly... Wealthy aristocratic families in, um, you know, the early 1900s built. I, I mean, these were their summer cottages. <laughs> yeah, Carmen, can you believe those were their summer cottages? Those were the second homes. I think that'd be pretty nice as a first home, wouldn't
2: it? <laughs> yeah, probably too nice. They were unbelievable. They were huge places decoration inside these mansions is it's unbelievable i mean it's pretty much a lot like you know these european castles and royalty these people definitely wanted to keep up with the royals.
1: <laughs> Keep up with the Joneses, right? Yeah, that, that, was the, that was the new American thing. It definitely was. And uh, so yesterday, now, different members of the, the different venture lines, people went on different excursions, people sort of did their own thing. But then we, most of us ran into each other yesterday. And the two of us, we saw the Breakers, which was just opulent, of course, that, that was my second time there. And then we also saw Marble House. Which one did you like better?
2: I think I like the Marble House better. It's hard to tell, I mean, if I had to compare them, the Marble House maybe was a little less opulent, but, I mean, they're all too much of everything. And it was interesting, I was just thinking about, you know, every room, every member of the family has a story, and one of the rooms was this art collection that I don't remember which member of the Vanderbilt family did, but instead of like usually they do where they collect one piece of art uh, over time and you know they're transfer with family members They just bought the entire collection and had it all built just for one room. So they just didn't want to wait, you know, to build on the family tradition. They just wanted to have it all at once.
1: (laughs) Didn't want to wait to have to go through the bother of collecting the pieces one at a time, right?
2: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. something else. Before we get to our guest today, I kind of want to switch gears for a moment and talk about the show Billions. Now, I'm sure many of you listening are either watching, maybe you're binging, or you have binged or have watched the Showtime show Billions, which has been a very, very popular show. It's about a Wall Street crook. Well, I think he's a crook. I think most people agree he's a crook. That's Bobby Axelrod, who is a likable crook. He's a cool guy, no question about it. And then uh, Chuck Rhodes, uh, the uh, U.S. attorney who is trying to take him down, and he's just on this vendetta, like it's his life's mission to get this guy, to get Bobby Axelrod. It's really an amazing series, very, very well written. Well, here's the thing I want to talk about. Now, Carmen, I got you into this show, Billions, and and what do you think of Billions?
2: That was a mistake. I started watching it, and I couldn't stop, (laughs) but it it was great. I loved it. Yeah,
1: it's a great show. So one of the things that many of us forget or fail to realize altogether is that every successful person, Every successful enterprise, every successful company, every successful charity, nonprofit, political candidate, movie star, musician, whatever, anybody who is successful in any field, we either don't realize or maybe we just forget that that success that they enjoy, that to the outside world looks like many times it looks like it was easy. Looks like, oh, gosh, I could do that. You know, I'll remember, I'll I'll tell you my own personal uh, thought. I remember when I saw the movie years ago, The Social Network, and Facebook, of course, was just becoming popular. And I thought, you know, that was so easy. Like what Zuckerberg did, and and well, maybe the Winklevoss brothers, right? Who knows? You know, they had the big lawsuit about that, and you know, the Winklevoss brothers said they hired Zuckerberg to create the Facebook, the Facebook, which is what it was called back then. Who knows, right? Who knows who the the real originator was? They had this big lawsuit, and I think Zuckerberg uh, gave the Winklevoss brothers a hundred million dollars as a settlement. Here's the thing. This article about the show Billions, I saw, uh, interestingly, in Business Insider, it says Showtime's Billions has beaten a lawsuit from a Wall Street performance coach who claimed the show ripped off her book. Anyway, this performance coach, the Wall Street performance coach, sued the show Billions, claiming that they ripped off her idea right? And on Friday, a U.S. district uh, court judge ruled in Showtime's favor, basically uh, dismissing the lawsuit, saying that they did not rip off the book idea. Now, who knows what's right or wrong? You know, a lot of times people go to court and justice is not served. Sometimes it is served, right? You know, There's two sides to every story, isn't there? But here's the point I want to make, is that, you know, as investors— We have to fight some battles once in a while, don't we? We got to fight a battle, right? We get a bad tenant who's trying to rip us off, who we have to evict. Maybe they leave the house in bad condition. Maybe our property manager is nickel and diming us. Maybe the seller of the property doesn't deliver on their promises. I mean, look, this is the world. And if you are listening and you have a corporate job, you're probably not used to this too much. When you're in the entrepreneurial world, it is rampant. It's terrible. Now, in the corporate world, you have politics. You have people climbing the corporate ladder. You have people, you know, putting their uh, feet on your shoulders to try and push you down so they can climb, so they can get that promotion. Look, it's a competitive world. It's a, as they say, hey, my dog's right here. Hi, Coco. What do you say? I actually, you can't see anything because she's not saying anything, but I put the microphone in front of her in front of her face. <laughs> Coco's on the cruise with us. It's a dog-eat dog world. That's why I reference the dog. Dog-eat dog world, right? It's competitive. You gotta fight some battles to build your empire. And the same is true with Showtime. You know, I talk with professional musicians, authors, anybody that's doing anything in the world. And, you know, they're fighting lawsuits of people stealing their copyrights and their intellectual property. There's just all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on in the world. And the reason I tell you this is because I want you to remember, the next time in any endeavor in life, you got to fight a battle. You got to remember, I mean, look, before our current president, And it's obvious our current president has fought a lot of battles, love him or hate him, right? He fights a lot of battles, Donald Trump. And he did long before he was in the political world. And we all heard about those uh, pretty publicly, right? But think about it. Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford. I mean, look at the Clintons. Gosh, they have fought a lot of battles. The Obamas fought a lot of battles. Anybody, love them, hate them, doesn't matter, that's trying to rise to the top and stick out and do something great. They fight a lot of battles to get there. It takes, you know, they'll fight battles with the IRS, okay? In the Scandinavian countries and Australia New Zealand, they have uh, what they call the tall poppy syndrome, right? You know, the culture, the world wants to cut down those tall poppies and make everybody conform and everybody's be the same, you know? Who are you to stand out? You know, who are you to be anybody, right? The world will say, you don't have the right to do that. So here's the Nelson Mandela version, okay? And I want you to think about this next time you are encountering a struggle, okay? A battle, right? You got to fight the battle, right? Mandela said, our deepest fear is not that we are weak, Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. As we are liberated from our own fear... Our presence automatically liberates others. So the quote is longer than that. That's kind of a truncated version of it. And it's great. Look it up. Check it out. It's, it's really quite inspiring. I believe he he used that in a speech when apartheid ended in uh, around the mid-90s. So check that out. Great Nelson Mandela quote. But think about that. You set an example. You got to fight some battles to make yourself a success in the world. Don't play it small. Play it big. You deserve it. That's the way it should be. All right, without further ado, let's go to our guest. Remember, we have Profits in Paradise coming up at the end of the month. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Go to jasonhartman.com for more info. And let's talk about renting your backyard. Pretty interesting concept. And again, this is presented today to show you kind of this overall trend that's quite fascinating and we also talk about some interesting construction cost concepts as well that you want to hear in this interview. Here we go. It's my pleasure to welcome Spencer Burley to the show. He is co-founder and CEO of Rent the Backyard. Now we've all heard a lot about the sharing economy and this is a new spin on it. Spencer, welcome. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: It's good to have you. And you're coming to us from uh, San Francisco Bay Area, right?
0: Yeah, we, uh, we're based down in Santa Cruz right now.
1: Okay, great. So how old is the company? When, when did you launch?
0: Yeah, so we incorporated back in uh, November of 2018. So we've been in business uh, a little while now, but uh, we've been sort of setting everything up and are going through our first set of projects right now.
1: So, I read an article about this and uh, wanted to reach out to you and invite you onto the show. Where did the idea come from? Tell us about the, the problem and how you came about and the solution.
0: Yeah. So, my co founder and I were always really big, sort of financial nerds. And as young people, we were looking out to come to the Bay Area and it was just so expensive. But at the same time, there's so much uh, extra land that isn't really being used. So, when we heard about these uh, things the state calls accessory dwelling units or ADUs, we got really excited. And thought we could apply like a financing model where we pay for everything up front. And in exchange, we split some of the the rent with the homeowners over a period of time.
1: So tell us more about the ADU. I mean, there are lots of little kits and uh, mini dwelling units. What makes the ADU, I mean, what are some of the chief characteristics of it that make it unique?
0: The ones that we're building up are um, really up market. They go and they have uh, sort of everything a homeowner or a tenant needs to live independent from the homeowner. So they have a, a small kitchenette, they have a bathroom, including a shower, and then they even have a separate living area and bedroom. They allow a, a tenant to live entirely independently from a homeowner and have a really great quality of life. We we like to think of them kind of as like a distributed apartment.
1: Mm-hmm. So many houses have casitas or additional units in the back. What makes this different? Is it just a more modern version of it? Is it a prefab house? Uh, you know, Tell us about the cost of it and so forth.
0: Yeah, so the innovation that our company really brings is on the financing side. So right now, if people want to build one of these units in their backyard, they need to typically borrow over $100,000 against their house and um, manage a construction process and then handle all the ongoing uh, property management on top of all of that. So what we do is we make it really, really easy for people to uh, get started with one of these units and to go and uh, sort of just sign on the dotted line. And we take care of the permitting, we take care of the building, and then we even take care of the ongoing uh, property management. So for a lot of people, it's a really easy way to take this this extra space that they're not really using and make some extra rental income for them from mm-hmm. it.
1: So the homeowner with the space in the backyard needs to pay for the unit though, right?
0: No. So we, we cover all the upfront costs and the homeowner never pays any, like a single cent unless they uh, choose to like leave the agreement.
1: How many square feet are these units?
0: The ones we're building right now are about 300 square feet. Mm-hmm. As we expand, we might offer a slightly larger one, but uh, the 300 square foot units are kind of in the sweet spot of, they get a whole lot of rent and their construction costs are relatively lower compared to larger units.
1: So the backyard needs to have uh, space of at least 20 by 25 feet they need to live in the front home most of the year why why is that what if someone owns a rental property and they want to instead of having one unit they want to add an additional unit to the rental property
0: yeah so this is a little bit dependent on jurisdiction Mm -hmm. so there are some jurisdictions that require that the homeowner live in the property most of the year so we kind of just say that as like a an easy way to sort of be able to go and uh Like screen people at this point. But as we uh, expand, we're definitely interested in working with a lot of people that have investment properties. And we already are starting a couple of projects with people that have investment properties in places like San Jose, where you aren't required to live in the home most of the year.
1: Mm -hmm. So those are really, that sounds like that's really more just the same rules that Airbnb and VRBO are fighting all the time with. I mean, almost everywhere, they'll let you rent something out to, you know, on a short term rental website, as long as you are there, as long as the owner is present. But as soon as the owner isn't present, and they want to just strictly rent like the whole house to somebody, that's where they've sort of made the regulation to disallow that, right?
0: Yeah, the lines seem to be drawn in different places in different municipalities. And there seems like there's a lot of uh, innovative things coming on the regulatory side. So we're excited to work with um, people that have more investment properties than sort of primary residents they want to use this with. But mostly we're doing people with primary residences just mm-hmm. because that's the way the, the laws look uh, right now in 2019.
1: Yeah. So if someone approached you and said, I already have a back house or I have a carriage unit over my garage in the back or I have a casita or a mother-in-law's quarters, you know, would you do a deal with them?
0: Yeah, it's definitely something we would, we would consider. I think the biggest value add that we have right now is that we finance the unit. So we might look to see like, Oh, if you have a like a home equity loan or something you're using to finance that you might be able to sort of come to us and we could help you sort of roll that like monthly payment you have on the unit into uh, our agreement where we just split the rent or something like that.
1: Now in the world of zoning, a typical residential property is what's called R1 or residential one. And if it's a duplex, it's called R2. And uh, that means, you know, two units. You're able to do this in R1 zoned properties, right?
0: Uh, Yes. Most of the properties we see are R1. And then in California, they subdivide it into like R1-4, R1-8. And we're we're able to get all the way down to R1-8, which means there's like eight properties on an acre, typically. So we can build on sort of quite small lots. The state has, at this point, passed a lot of laws that make them much, much easier to build, Mm -hmm. even in in smaller
1: lots. Right, right. And so so it looks like the municipalities are really trying to address the housing crisis uh, to some degree with this kind of stuff, which is great. How much do those units cost? I mean, I know you're financing it, but just to understand kind of the economics of it, what do they cost you to buy or build I don't, I don't even know the right word uh those units
0: <laughs> it really depends on uh where we're building right now i guess the the average would be somewhere between 100 000 and 200,000 but that depends on things like what do the city permits look like and uh like how level is the, the ground in the back and does work need to be done back there so mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit of a range and then we kind of as part of our uh process for taking a look at properties are able to figure that out and give like a better idea of like what the the rent split will look like for homeowners and what the term of the agreement will be so it's fair for
1: everyone. I mean, that's actually surprisingly expensive. You're saying that's, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of $300, $330 to $660 per square foot?
0: Yes, they're quite expensive to build. It's typical with um these buildings that a lot of the things you have are fixed costs, so like once you get someone like in the backyard to lay like a, a slab foundation, being able to lay another hundred square feet is not the the most costly. And we're definitely looking at ways to sort of work with different manufacturers and sort of be able to push the cost down as we scale. But the cost, as you point out, is one of the reasons that like we're starting out in California where uh, real estate sells at above a thousand dollars a square foot typically. So uh, we're really focused here, but as the costs go down and the the coming months and years, we'll be able to be in a, a lot more places, which we're really excited about.
1: And these are manufactured houses though, right? Most of it's built in a factory and assembled on site. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So they're largely prefabricated. So they either are flat packed. So they're sort of come together like Ikea on site mm-hmm. or they're uh, trucked in like fully constructed and either rolled or lifted in. But there's all sorts of site work you need to do like a slab foundation at this point. Although we're looking at Really cool things like pillared foundations, which would cut the costs and enable homeowners to get into these units for for less all the time.
1: The cost of the unit versus the engineering and pouring the slab and all that kind of good stuff, like can you divide that up at all for us? It is amazing how much this stuff still costs i'm I'm just in shock. I'll tell you why, just to give you, Spencer, some of the background. Our listeners and clients keep sending me these things. And, you know, you see people sharing this stuff on Facebook. Well, you know, this 3D printed home was built for only $10,000. And uh, here you can buy a house on Amazon for $19,000 and have it shipped to you for no shipping cost. And I investigated this because I, I didn't believe it. It sounded It sounded fantastic at first. My greed gene was kicking in. I'm thinking, I'm just going to buy vacant lots all over the place and put these little units on them and rent them out. And it's going to be great. And then I, I really started investigating this, come to find that all of those companies seem to have the same... Answer when I say well, they'll say well, you have to do this that you have to have engineering It doesn't include HVAC. It doesn't include plumbing It doesn't include electrical and there's engineering on the site just like you said with yours, etc. Cetera, etc cetera. Well, I said well look how much does it cost and and they all say the same thing they say it's it's pretty much pretty comparable to new home construction and then I'm thinking what is the point you can just have a builder build a house, right? And I said, well, what in your eyes does new home construction cost? And they'll they'll say, typically they'll answer about $200 per square foot. And I'm like, wow, it is amazing to me that we can't build a house for less than that nowadays. It seems like it should be dramatically less expensive if it's done in a factory. But I don't exactly know what the hangup is To me, the construction industry, it's just a very primitive industry, and I'm all in favor of modular housing built in a factory, assembled on a job site. That's the way it should be, yet there's this crazy stigma that Americans have against that. They think of a mobile home, like some cheap mobile home. Well, actually, there are some very nice mobile homes out there and some very nice manufactured houses, but, you know, the banks view it differently when it comes to financing, It's just kind of crazy. We need to get over this. There's a housing crisis in the country, and we got to make more cost effective housing. And uh, people have got to get over this discriminatory belief against manufactured housing, but still, it needs to get less expensive at the same time. What's the problem here? And our, our business
0: is really like we're sort of the entire company is a, a function of rent versus construction costs. So this is something we think about all the time. And we're talking to all sorts of really exciting manufacturers that do that, like 3D printing and uh, do like low impact foundations where they build uh, units that sit on stilts and all sorts of other things like that. And those are, are able to push the cost down. Hopefully that'll get below $100,000. But a lot of the cost that's built in comes at the city level. So especially in California, to, to build a new home, the amount of like times you need to go and ask the community for its input oh, yeah. and be able to do impact studies and things like that dramatically increases the price. So with these accessory units, there is a new cutout in the California law that makes it so you don't need to do a lot of those steps, which chops off a lot of the, the overhead there. But yeah, you're totally right. The construction still is, is very, very expensive and we're... Uh, really committed to pushing that down to make this, uh, viable for more, more homeowners and more renters and to help fix the housing issues we have in this country.
1: Even what you said there though, getting it like your goal is to get it down to a hundred thousand dollars. That's still $333 per square foot. <laughs> yes. Is, it is still incredibly expensive. I just see this future of everybody living in tiny 300 square foot houses because, uh, it is remarkable what this stuff costs. And then I suppose if and when you expand to areas that are affected by things like hurricanes, tornadoes, California have earthquakes, of course, but then your cost might go up even more. It depends, right?
0: Yeah, I, I think the building codes definitely play a role in the, the construction costs because things do need to get built to a certain standard. Yeah. Right now, all the units we built are built to the same like building code that a typical house is. And we tell people that the units we build will will last longer than their main home. And that's true because the building codes have become so much more uh, robust and uh, have so many more requirements than they used to have, yeah. which I, I think also influences the cost of instruction.
1: Oh, but, no no question about it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the income side for a moment before we wrap up. You say that, like right on your website, it says you can earn $6,000 per year as a homeowner by renting out a unit in your backyard. Tell us how you calculate that and what these units rent for and the economics. I, I think you mentioned that you split the income with the owner of the property. Uh, tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, so the idea that we've um, moved to is is where one where we guarantee homeowners the first $500 of each month's rent. And then on top of that, we'll handle all of the, the maintenance and repairs and pay any increase in property tax that might come from installing a unit. And what this does is it gives homeowners a much more uh, – stable source of income. And they're really able to be able to tell, especially when they're an older person who's on something like social security and wants to know exactly what their check's going to be, we can give them that stable income. So that's the model we're doing right now. We've thought about doing more explicit like profit sharing, where we split rent like 50-50 or something like that. But um, at this point, uh, we've heard from homeowners and, and so many of them that we're just offering the uh, the first $500 of each month's rent as a guarantee to homeowners to mm-hmm. give them that stability.
1: How many of these units do you have installed so far?
0: Yeah, we're going through the process of building our first batch of uh, 10 or 20. So we're kind of chugging along and, and we're installing units um, at a really quick rate.
1: Are you backed? Do you have funding uh, from a VC or angel investor?
0: Yeah, we have... Um, we have enough funding to accomplish our goals from venture capitalists. And then uh, the goal is we, we get larger is to sort of issue debt or um, find more sort of third party investors that are interested in like the cash flows of our business. But mm-hmm. we're jump-starting it with venture and, using that to run the first batch of these units.
1: Okay, so how much do you project? I mean, is anybody living in one of these yet? Is anything built or or is it all under construction so far? Uh, The units that
0: we're specifically like under Rent the Backyards name, Uh building are under construction. But um, we work with a building partner that's built over 180 of these in Uh the Bay Area. So they're very experienced and they have a, a lot of units out in the wild.
1: Okay. And how much do those rent for? That's what I'm getting at. Like, what's the renter paying? And I know the homeowner is, you're working on the deal where they guaranteed 500 per month, uh, which is great. What, what does the renter pay, though?
0: Yeah, so right now we're looking between uh, $1,500 and $2,000 in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a range. This depends on, like, if you're close to a tech campus, like Google or Microsoft or someone like that, or if you're close to, uh, like, a, a rail station, or a sports arena or a college and then also just sort of generally what city you're in. So mm-hmm. we're trying to sort of optimize the places we build at first to to maximize that that top line rental income, but it's a it's a pretty wide range at least in the bay area.
1: Mhm. Okay. Very interesting. One of the things on your website that's addressed is parking, and that's a big issue for a lot of a lot of municipalities, you know. If you have a 3 bedroom house, you've got to have at least a two-car garage. You know, that'll be what they say. And mm-hmm. if you, you know, want to build that extra bedroom, you know, you've got to have another parking space. Now, you're saying, though, that's almost never required, which surprises me.
0: Yeah, so this is something that's specific to California. And as we, as we grow, that might be a requirement that changes in something we need to build. But um, California's specific law on these accessory dwelling units is that you don't need to build parking if you're within a quarter mile of a public transit stop, including a bus stop. So almost all uh, homes that we look at in, uh, in the Bay area fit that requirement yeah. they just don't require parking to be built.
1: Right. Right. They'll at least have a bus stop for sure. Yeah. Okay. Good yes. stuff. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience?
0: I don't think so at this point, we're really mm. focused on the San Francisco Bay area right now in 2019, but we're uh, sort of excited to expand and the next markets we'll probably be looking at are Los Angeles, uh, Portland, Seattle, Denver, Austin, and, and beyond. So, uh, we'll be uh, to where you are soon enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. And I gotta say, uh, from the looks of uh, you and your partner, you guys look really young. So (laughs) congratulations on uh, getting a head start on life with what you're doing. Do you care to share anything about that? Uh, You know, uh, it's up to you. But you guys are uh, really starting out early, it looks like.
0: Yeah, I think that um, one of the reasons we started this this company was because as as younger folks we were looking to to move out to the Bay Area and it was just so expensive. And at the same time, we've been really big uh, like economics nerds. My co founder and I um, are engineers out of Carnegie Mellon, and we uh, had really sort of became really fast friends uh, by talking about different and interesting financial products. So we're really excited about the work we're doing, and we're we're super big housing nerds, and hope we can make. Uh, some impact in the world to, to make it a little bit better for existing homeowners who can go and uh, take some underutilized space and make some extra income from it, yeah. as well as uh, as on the renter's side and helping more people find uh, uh, high quality, affordable places to live.
1: Excellent. Good stuff. Well, hey, I wish you a lot of success with this. It's certainly needed. The website again is, uh, go ahead give out your website.
0: It's just rentthebackyard.com.
1: Excellent. Thank you for joining
0: us. Thank you so much for having me.